the exciting trilogy conclusion of the letter P. Terms and definitions. Get your popcorn and let's do this. Well, here we are. Welcome, welcome. What is up, my How to Buy Homies? This is the How to Buy Home Podcast. I'm David Sedoni. And now, the exciting conclusion to the letter P. This is P part three. We're going to start off with a bang. Our first P is pre-approval, a term I'm sure a lot of you have heard a lot about. If you're a homie, you know that this term was incorrectly originally described in the M episode under the mortgage pre-approval. <laughs> oh, the host is a dummy and he sometimes works too late. So let me clarify again. It's my job to crush the confusion of buying your first home and not help build it up since I biffed on that one. There are two types of pre-loan validations. So before you get a loan, you're going to get a pre-qualification, which is garbage and useless, is basically a pre-qualification letter's toilet paper. And then you have a pre-approval. You get both of these in the form of a letter and they come from your lender. One's called the pre-qualification or the pre-qual toilet paper. And the other one is called a pre-approval letter. Now, most good realtors are not even going to show you a home unless you have one of these. So all over the internet, even if you've only done your first 10 seconds of research into buying a home, you've probably read or heard this. Your first step in buying a home is to get pre-qualified with the lender so you know what you can buy. All right, remember, we're starting a revolution, and I want to make sure that you guys understand. First, in my humble opinion, this is wrong totally totally wrong look don't ask your parents about this don't ask your brother who's a lawyer or your friend who's a financial advisor because you are not going to hear a lot of people out there who agree with me for completely disagreeing with the mantra that your first step is to get pre-qualified or pre-approved before you even talk to a realtor because why would you want to waste the time of the realtor you need to get started with the loan first Remember, you're either listening to or you're watching this on YouTube, and I'm bringing you insider information. Have been since 2019. I'm starting a revolution here for your benefit because the entire system is broken. And if you're a homie, you've heard me say it a billion times. Sometimes they do stuff for them. It's wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong for so many reasons. And I get it. Sometimes the intention behind this statement is earnest and they are trying to make sure that you know what you're getting into before you get started. But really, the overall sentiment has been made completely and totally corporate, and it's designed to find out if you're a customer and then make you a customer. It is absolutely and not designed to serve you best and help you buy a home that's the best thing for you. So the trick is to serve you best. You should go out there and find a unicorn realtor who has experience and is willing to help you work with the planning so that you have the best options when you're ready to buy. Because when you buy a home, one of the biggest things you're gonna have to understand is that you're going to make some compromises. So you wanna make as little of those compromises as possible. Once you've got a great realtor, their recommendations and the people that they know they can get you to a lender that's going to be just as good as anyone that you could find on your own. And then you can get the pre-approval from someone who has a relationship with the realtor. 
Trust me, it can happen. And no, there's no kickbacks involved. In fact, that's illegal. But by creating this team, you set yourself up for the best possible option for yourself. Now you've got a team whose sole intention is to work with you for the long haul and help you create a plan, not just to answer the phone and find out what you qualify for and buy you a house right now. That can happen when you go and try to get pre-qualified right away. They're just going to run your numbers, tell you what you qualify for, and then send you to some other random realtor with that pre-qualification, not a pre-approval, and then they're going to send you out to go home shopping. If you're new to the podcast, I've discussed this a million times before. I've had several buyers actually bring this up to me in the episodes when I interview them after they close. And they said that this worked the absolute best for them. So if the concept is new to you, you've never heard this before. Hi, welcome to the show. I encourage you to search the archives at howtobuyahome.com and look for those interview episodes where a lot of them talked about doing this process and how helpful it was for them. And you can also search any of the episodes where we talk about home mortgages and home loans. So if you are a homie and you listen to every episode, you heard the uh, little retraction episode I had to make when I transposed the definitions. And since I am a complete and total dumbass, yeah, I said dumbass. Let's explain how these two pieces work again. A pre-approval is what you want. That's the document that tells you how much you can afford to take out on a home loan. It's the first step in getting you a mortgage. When you apply for a pre-approval, your lender's going to ask you for all the verification stuff. You're going to need your credit score, your income, your assets, and other financial information. You're going to give the documents to them. Yes, crazy concept. You actually have to show them the documents. They're going to verify your debts, your income, your salary, and yes, they're going to pull your credit. Search previous episodes to help dispel the myth about pulling your credit being a bad thing. It's not. More people get hurt not pulling their credit 12 months or six months before they buy a home than the people who think that they're going to be cute and wait. Your lender takes all this information and they're going to tell you how much you qualify for when you're buying a home. Super important step, but not one you need to take with some rando lender that you just find online. Your best place to start with that awesome realtor, and then they'll give you the recommendation to find a local mortgage broker who can give you the same information you get from the rando online, but now you got that team in place. Now, the other one is called a pre-qualification. That pre-qualification is someone asking you a few questions over the phone, punching it into a little program they have, and then telling you how much house you can buy, and maybe they're gonna send you a copy of a letter. And I'm not sure how many of you do. Go ahead and print it out and wipe your booty with it. It's toilet paper. Let me explain why pre-qualification is garbage. They involve no asset or income verification. So my 12-year-old could call up a lender and give the information over the phone to someone and get approval in a pre-qualification letter. If you present that pre-qualification letter to a seller or to an agent representing the seller, you're saying, Hey, how you doing? I really want to buy your home and I want you to sell it to me, but I have absolutely not done the proper preparation to present you an offer that shows you that I can actually buy it. And I've chosen a realtor and a lender to represent me that don't know the difference or just don't care. And they're going to be clueless and probably major nightmares in this transaction. So don't you want to sell the home to me? See, they're garbage and they make you look bad. Zero verification zero documentation. They are the opposite of 
any sensation that's sweeping the nation and they'll cause massive devastation if you attempt to use them to prove your compensation and they'll likely put you into a state of inebriation and several libations to soothe your consternation. When your parents ask you where you're getting all this detailed information, please, please, for the love of God, don't play them that clip. So the moral of the story is don't ever shop without a full pre-approval or you are massively jumping the gun and you need to do more planning. Not because you're wasting anyone's time. That's not really the big issue. But because if you don't do that, you might be missing out on some serious beneficial loan options that could really massively improve your buying potential. Takes planning, my favorite P word. Moving on to the next P word, pre-foreclosure sale. Now, these are modifications or new agreements between the borrower, the homeowner, and the bank. I know that's not what you thought it was. But most of the time when my buyers see pre-foreclosure sale, they get all excited. But these are just these arrangements that are being set up so that eventually and potentially they can sell the home that they being the bank so that they can satisfy the loan and avoid the foreclosure. Now, again, I know a lot of you get excited about it because the big internet home shopping sites love to use this word when a home is for sale that maybe has just missed a few payments. And buyers get super excited because they think they're gonna get a foreclosure. And for some reason, every buyer out there thinks foreclosures are a great deal. They're not, we'll talk about that later. It really makes me laugh how the word foreclosure gets buyers all tingly and excited. Well, in this case, when they use the word pre-foreclosure, it's just a bait and switch. It's a trap, so don't buy into it. Most homes in 2022 have tons of equity in them. and Anyone who has issue with late payments, that can be remedied without the bank having to come in and sell the home as a foreclosure because they can probably sell the home with the equity because they've got plenty of value in the home. The term for a home that doesn't have enough value in it, that's called upside down. But that is not happening right now. So people could sell their homes with plenty of profit. Currently, right now in the United States, I don't have the Canada stats, but they're probably similar. There's 3.6 trillion in equity in the 6.6 .6 million homes that have mortgages on them. And that of course doesn't even include the homes that have no mortgage because they're totally paid off and they're free and clear. Now of those 6.6 .6 million homes, which have 3.6 trillion in equity, there are only 200,000 homes in the entire United States that are upside down. The big, huge increase that you're hearing about on foreclosures you might see that headline a lot of different places. It's straight up clickbait. If you're at home, just picture a chart going from top way down to the bottom. And then it comes up just a little bit. You see, when there's nowhere to go but up since we took a slide all the way down. Yeah, sure. It went up a little bit this year and it's a rise. But last year was 65,000. This year, it's 165,000. So yeah, it's up, but it's still the second lowest we've ever had in 15 years and 20 to 25 times lower than the 1.3 million we had in 2008, the 1.52 million in 2009, and the 1.65 million in 2010. We're only 165,000. This is not 2008. Foreclosure is not going to crash the market. But if you see that pre-foreclosure on Zillow and Redfin and you get excited and you want to run out and grab that home, just remember how little the number of homes that are actual foreclosures are. Because what are the odds that when there's such a small percentage of them, everybody's got so much equity out there and there are really very, very few homes 
in jeopardy of foreclosure, what are the odds that one of those rare homes that does end up maybe becoming a listing as a foreclosure is going to be number one in your area and number two, the type of home that you're looking for and number three, not a gigantic money pit. And then bonus number four to get to the real real. If there's not that many out there and most of the people who buy foreclosures are investors, then your chances shrink even more because the investors are going to be chomping at the bit. Don't be mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Blame your parents for not having you 12 years earlier. So you could have bought a home back in 2010 when there were 1.6 gajillion foreclosures on the market. Our next P is called a preliminary report. Now, this is in regards to your title. A preliminary report is required for the title insurance company to issue a title insurance policy. And it reveals any issues with title that need to be dealt with by the seller in order to deliver a clear title. If you've never bought a house before, that's probably the word title more times than one sentence that you've ever heard in your entire life. The title gives detail of ownership. It tells the history of who owned it. It talks about liens on the property and it talks about easements. The title company gathers all this research and puts it in a report by searching the existing property records at the county recorder's office. Now, in most transactions, all the liens, the titles, the taxes, and otherwise, they have to be clean is the word that they use. Everything has to be satisfied in order to release the property to transfer the ownership. So make sure you've got a great team of advocates working for you to make sure that you do have that clean title. What you don't want is something they call a cloud on the title. Our next P is a premium. That's an amount paid on a regular schedule by a policyholder that maintains your insurance coverage. I'm sure you've heard of paying your insurance premiums. The reason why I'm telling you this right now is you gotta make sure that you pay this or know that your lender is paying your insurance premiums if that you have your insurance impounded in your P-I-T-I. Isn't this fun? Now you know all these words. Impounded and P-I-T-I. I can just sprinkle them into a sentence and you know what I'm talking about. Okay, our next P word goes into some really important stuff for first-time homebuyers. Prepaid costs. Okay, prepaid costs, it's going to sound kind of weird, but the real definition is that prepaid costs, these are payments made at closing because you're going to have line items at your closing for items that you will need to pay in the future for your new home and your new home loan. They're called prepaid costs because you're going to be paying for them before they are technically due. The most common kind of these prepaid costs are homeowner's insurance, property taxes, and mortgage interest. Now, these are paid into an escrow account, usually held by your lender, to ensure that you have the money to pay for these pieces that you have to have in order to keep a loan on the property. So they build up the account, make sure you've got enough in there, and then they'll pay for it when the balances come due. Now, these prepaid costs, they can't be financed, so they can't become part of your loan. So this is the extra cash payment that you have to make at the closing over and above your down payment. Does this sound familiar? Anyone know what that is? We have to go all the way back to the C episode. Yes, this is the answer to the mystery. This is why no one can precisely tell you how much closing costs are going to be. They can't be accurately measured until you're under contract and until you have a specific closing date, because all these prepaid items are attached 
to that date. It bums me out so much. I wish I had a better answer for you, but I don't. I can't give you an exact precise number. Uh, neither can your unicorn realtor, neither can your unicorn lender. That accurate, exact, precise number can't happen. We can give you maybe a percentage, an area, what it usually is, because these prepaid closing costs they can be different depending on the date that you close, not to mention it can completely change depending on where you are on the tax calendar, sometimes in the HOA calendar, and sometimes obviously depending on when you close on your mortgage, how much you have to prepay on that interest. So for you anal spreadsheet nerds out there, I wish I could be more specific, but I'm going to say somewhere between two to 4% of the purchase price. That's the number that you need to assume and worst case scenario is you've got a little cushion on top of your down payment and your estimate. This is enormous. This is gigantic. I'm trying to find big words. This is huge for when you're planning to buy a home. I always just tell people err on the side of cushion, not caution, err on the side of cushion and shoot for the bigger percent, 3%, 4% of the purchase price. Because what's the worst thing that can happen? You save up the 5% and then you save up 2% then you go, oh, let's keep saving. They save up three and four. Well, what if the, it's only 2%? Cool, now you have extra money. Oh, sorry. What a terrible plan I put you under. Okay, and a quick protection side note about this. I'm already starting to see it online. You're gonna start hearing suddenly out of nowhere, a lot more people marketing and talking to you first time home buyers. There's going to be a lot of new chatter. I mean, a lot of new chatter here at the end of 2022 and especially in 2023. And it's mostly coming from realtors and lenders. They actually need clients. They need buyers and they need borrowers. More on that in a minute. They're going to do lots and lots of sexy marketing, telling you that things are changing and that you don't need to pay your closing costs anymore. They're going to tell you the market has changed and now you can get the seller to pay for your closing costs. Look, technically, yeah, this could be something that can come up, but your really good team is going to plan as if you don't need to. And then if you're in the right situation with the right options, you can ask for it. Even though we might be seeing a little bit more of this happening in the market, even though people are going, hey, this is happening, I see changes happening. Okay, but big old but, if you have the ability to save more, if you're in a situation where you can live 70, 10, 10, 10, like I've talked about, while you're saving up the down payment, then you're going to be giving yourself the option to ask the seller if they'll cover your closing costs where it's not mandatory that you ask the seller to cover your closing costs. This is something you might be able to ask for if you're the only buyer offering. But if there's more than one buyer, you and your team should discuss the best strategies and the best ways to win the deal. Now, that might include not asking the seller for closing costs so that you look like the better buyer. See, once again, it all comes down to options. The more options you have as the buyer, then the stronger you can present yourself when you're negotiating, the better chance that after this whole year of planning, you're going to nail it and be able to buy that home that you're so excited about. Now, if you're freaking out a little bit about the idea of having to save an extra 2 to 4% when you're already working your butt off to try to save 3% down or 5% or 10% or 20%, let me give you some positive strategies and positive facts. 
Okay, the first one is if you're trying to buy a home using grants or other down payment assistance programs, and you have to ask for the seller to pay for them for these prepayment costs that every single buyer has to go through to pay when they're trying to buy a home, known as the mysterious and uncalculatable closing costs. <laughs> or if you're one of those people who has just enough money saved to barely cover the down payment, 3%, 5%, 10%, I'm not saying that you have to save it up, you might be able to ask for the closing costs. Remember, I'm not here to blow smoke up your keister and I'm not trying to oversell you with all these sexy ways to buy a home with no money. You know, that's not my jam. I don't need you to pick up the phone and call me and buy my workshop. So can you do this? Yeah, perhaps. And don't let my real talk stop you. If you're in a situation, you're ready to go, go for it. This should encourage you to realize exactly where you are and to figure out where your options are at that time. Maybe you're right there, but you need the closing costs covered, but now you know that and now you know exactly how much more you need to save or you can start giving it a run. You can always put some offers out there and see what happens while you're trying to improve your options at the same time. The neat thing is now that the market's shifting, you might be able to get those prepaid closing costs covered by the seller because things are shifting. It's all the more reason why you, the person that might need a little bit of help getting things started, should start a plan 12 months, not 12 weeks before you want to get out there and start writing offers. This is why that long-term relationship that you set up with the realtor that you interview or unicorn realtor or unicorn team, that is crucial. Working with experienced people because they're going to know if you're going to have the potential opportunity to negotiate for these closing costs. But there's no blanket statement about this process. It is totally predicated on the current market conditions. So if someone did something two months ago, when you put an offer in today, their information is probably obsolete. I'm not kidding. In 2021, like it was a whole different world. You couldn't ask for closing costs because the seller had multiple buyers on every single home. In fact, the seller would demand that you actually remove your inspection and appraisal and Plus, you had to prove that you had tens of thousands of more money to show them above and beyond the list price because they're going to get all those lucky people in a bidding war and bid them up fifty dollars or $100,000 over the price. Well, now that's changing. And so now the market is actually opening up for more options for you. Once again, it's always all about options. More planning you do, the more options you get. And sometimes things will just fall in your lap and you want to be ready to take advantage of those opportunities. So to wrap things up in this extremely important explanation about these crazy, confusing closing costs, and unfortunately, these new realtors and pretty predatory lenders, they know that this is confusing to people. And now that the market's shifting, they realize that tons of buyers out there who have been scared and waiting on the fence, maybe suddenly are starting to poke their heads out a little bit and start thinking about dumping their rent and looking to buy a home. So I'm telling you, just be careful. I mentioned it, you're going to suddenly start seeing lots and lots of new realtors and new lenders marketing to you about the sexy, no money down, getting the seller to pay for your closing costs. You're going to see their social posts, their workshops and their classes. But I'm telling you, please check their records. Look at the track record. Realtors and lenders who are looking for a paycheck love to follow the trends of the market. And guess what? Good for you. You're trendy. How about that? So suddenly they're going to start advertising themselves as experts to you 
Because you're the person that's going to get them paid. Real estate workers, just like social media, they follow trends to get your attention. And of course, it's just so that they can get that paycheck at the end of the deal. So most of the first-time buyer education that you see popping up right now, and for sure that you're going to see in 2023, is because these realtors and lenders have been advertising to sellers for the last 10 years. And now that these sellers are not easy prey anymore, in fact, they're getting bummed out when they list their homes because someone tells them they have to maybe do a price reduction. Well, now they turn around and look for the easy deals. They always want to look for the low-hanging fruit. That's you. Low-hanging fruit and their payday. So always check the track record to see the experience from these experts who have always had the first-time buyer's best intentions. I don't usually bring out Caddy David, but for this, I'm going to make an exception just for you guys. I want to make sure that you protect yourself and avoid any ugly situations because things are changing and you're going to hear a lot of different noise out there. And some of these so-called professionals are going to be trying to lure you in so they get paid. Yeah, yeah, I think he's coming in right now. Oh, look, he's over there. That's Caddy David. Caddy David, what do you have to say? Hi, I'm Caddy David. Let's take a look. Oh, hi. Hi, realtor lender. This suddenly marketing no money needed to buy a home programs. Let me check you out real quick. Okay, I see here that you are, oh, it looks like you're a new agent and oh, you've got lousy training and your broker mostly taught you how to start a TikTok. And oh, uh, yeah, you're mostly just trying to figure out how to get buyers to notice you, but it actually looks like you've had your license for, ooh, ooh, less than a year and you've got uh, three sales. Oh, and it looks like here in early 2022 that you were marketing to sellers and telling them there's no better time to sell your home and that you were the pro for them. Hmm. So then suddenly, why the switch to the marketing to this first-time buyer expert with the no money down? Oh, hello, Mr. Lender. Yeah, I'm taking a look at you, too. You did most of your business in the last five years working in refinances. Okay. So, oh, that's because the rates were the lowest in history. I understand that. I see what you've been doing. Oh, and now I see this new marketing you've got here. That's telling people that you're a purchase expert? Really? That's what you focus on? Okay. You mean a completely different product that's totally different than what you've been focusing on the last five years? Okay. Yeah, no, no. I'm going to make sure I send all of my buyers to your website. Sounds like you're really working in their best interest. Okay. All right, I'm back. Whew. Sorry you had to hear that guy. But after three and a half years of podcasts and 16 years of Posting videos and education for first-time buyers. I am not a fan of first-time buyers being sold this terrible bill of goods. I don't like these unqualified posers trying to make a buck and not respecting the importance of the service that they are shilling out to you. You guys deserve better and you can start the revolution by staying educated. Speaking of educated, let's get back to it. Prepayment penalty. Now, this is weird, but a prepayment penalty happens. Sometimes loans actually have a fee if you pay it off early. I know, strange. But a prepayment penalty, it happens sometimes when you pay off your mortgage early. So make sure you check out and see if the loan that you're getting has a prepayment penalty. One of the things about it, FHA loans and some loans made by state chartered banks don't allow them. So if no one talks to you about it, maybe just is because your loan doesn't have one and it can't have one. Our next P is the principal. The principal is the original amount of the loan, excluding the interest, and the interest is charged based on the unpaid principal of the loan. Another thing to think about your principal, it's basically the money that has not been repaid to the lender yet. Sometimes it's called the outstanding 
or unpaid principal balance. It's the amount owed minus the amount that you've already paid. Get it? And remember, most of the time when you're making those payments, the first few years of owning a house, most of it's going towards the interest and you're paying very little down to the principal. Our next P is called a probate sale. This is something that's really important. A probate sale happens when the homeowner dies without writing a will or leaving a property to someone. Now, from the sales side, I can talk to you a lot about it, but from the buyer's side, a lot of people get all excited. They say, ooh, a probate, I think I'm gonna get a deal on this. Once again, not to be Captain Buzzkill, but let me explain the way this works. In a probate sale, the probate court is gonna authorize an estate attorney or another representative to hire a real estate agent to sell the home. The process is most of the time much more complicated and therefore it's gonna take much more time for that contract period than a conventional sale. So don't think 30 days, think 60, 90, all right? And some of them, they do this thing that I really don't like because it just confuses you guys. They put the home up for a list price, but sometimes probate homes need court approval before the price is approved. So that list price, it might not even be something that they're willing to accept or that the court lets them accept. Sometimes the beneficiaries, they're like sons and daughters or brothers and sisters who are all angry at each other and don't trust each other. So the court has to decide when they get a number that's going to work. But of course, when the home is listed online, it doesn't say court approval right next to the price. And you just look at it and get excited and think, oh, this is a great deal. So be careful when you see something that's listed as a probate sale. If it looks too good to be true, take a look and see all these sold homes in the area. Then you'll know exactly how correctly or incorrectly priced that new crazy probate listing is. All right, then we get to promissory note. That is a written promise to repay a specified amount over a specified period of time. Yeah, promissory notes like just a loan. It's a term that you should know because you're going to hear it with lots of different types of loans, not just mortgages. Okay, now we get to another one that is really important for you first-time buyers. Proof of funds. You need it. You must have it. Mic drop. When you get ready to submit an offer, if you want to up your chances, you always need to send a copy of your proof of funds. Now, what that is, is the bank statement showing your account with all the money in it that you need to buy the home. Don't worry about it. You black out the account numbers. You'd be all safe. But the agent needs to see your name on the account. This is a real specific thing here. It's better to use a screenshot of the full monthly statement. So like a lot of times you just log in and go, oh, there it is. Boom. It's better to go to the full monthly statement and get the complete PDF of like the statement that they would have sent you snail mail back in the day. An official looking document with your name. And you have to include these proof of funds. Some people might tell you it's not necessary, but again, not in my experience. It's like submitting a resume for a job application on really nice paper. And it just says, trust me, I went to a great school and I've had some great training and experience. Trust you? What? No, <laughs> you need to show them that you not only can say that you have the cash, but that you actually have the cash for not only the earnest money, but also for the full down payment and maybe even a little extra cash in case anything pops up with the appraisal or inspections or anything like that. You need to show them that you have the money to get into the deal and enough money that you're not gonna bail on the deal. Our next P is called property taxes. Yes, property taxes, they're a thing. You have to pay them. 
and they are the T-N-P-I-T-I. It would be grossly irresponsible of me to give any tax advice since they are different in every single state and especially completely different in Canada. So get yourself a great unicorn team, ask them, and don't let people spook you into staying a renter for longer than you have to by giving you this mantra, renting is awesome, we don't pay taxes. Sweet, correct, yes. But that's why we do the math of rent versus buy with the PITI number so that it is included in the equation. And we got the purchase and sale agreement. This is the PSA. That's not a public service announcement, although I guess it is too, but... In real estate, a PSA is the purchase and sale agreement. It's the contract. In California, we call it the RPA. That's the residential purchase agreement. But for lots of other places, you might hear about the purchase and sale agreement. Again, love you folks in Canada. You guys call it the agreement for sale. Why can't we all just agree on the same thing? Who knows? Either way, any form of those words, I just call it the contract. Okay, like a smelly unemployed hipster leaving the porta potty at the music festival, I am all out of pee. So I hope this helped. And if so, help the revolution spread the word. Take 12 seconds, share this from your phone right now. Send it off to your friends that might be starting their plan so the revolution grows and we can get more renters to take control, get stable in this scary economic world. Rate and review on Apple or Spotify. Yeah, you can review on Spotify now. And you can always look for more free information on my Instagram. It's at David Sedoni until I get the person at How to Buy a Home to release that handle. And it's on TikTok at How to Buy a Home and YouTube at How to Buy a Home Podcast. For the past five years in this crazy market, before the podcast and through the podcast, I have been preaching the four P's of buying in this nutso time. Patience, persistence, perseverance, and positive attitude. Well, let me add three more P's as the market shifts in favor of you buyers. Potential possibilities when you have proper planning. You can do this. <laughs> <laughs>